This is Gritty Girls, a place where you can come to process the issues and topics your girlfriends, family, or coworkers may or may not be discussing. However, you're thinking about these issues, so let's dive into them together. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Lee. And I'm Leslie Campbell, and we are the Gritty Girls. So I met someone my freshman year, and, uh, you know, he was a little bit of a rebel, uh, which was exciting. I was at a Christian university, and so um, turns out he was like the big drug dealer there. Up to that point, um, hadn't really dated a whole lot of people, you know, or or there were no serious relationships. Uh, There was no sex involved. Um, Decided I, I wanted to stay a virgin until I was married. Um, so we had decided one night we were going to go to a party and, um, still at this time I did not know, you know, his reputation. So we had gone on this, um, party date and at our school being so religious and strict and everything, it was not like you could just go do that, you know? And so I had to sign out and, you know, hide that I was going to be somewhere overnight and, um, so we, we went to the party. We had a good time. There was a little bit of drinking and, you know, um, I think I'm, I might have smoked something. I don't know. But it was time for the night to wind down and we had to go somewhere, you know, because um, I had signed out. So he said, well, let's go back to my friend's house. And, um, you know, up to that point, our intimacy level was just pretty much kissing. I mean, there wasn't really any physical um, other than that. And I hadn't even known him very long. So we get there and, you know, we we go back in the bedroom and kind of got a little intimate. And, um, you know, he kind of proceeded to kind of go that way. And I said, you know, I don't I don't want to do that. And he said, oh, okay, okay, You know, so we just continue on with with. your usual, you know, kissing and all of that. And, and he tried again. And I said, no, no, you know, use that word. No, I don't want that. And so by about the third time, uh, you know, he proceeded again. And, and he said, well, so I said, you know, no, I, I don't want to do that. And, and he said, oh, are you waiting until you're married? You know, kind of a little condescending, and I said, yes, I am. You know, I, I really don't want to do this. Um, but he didn't back off, you know, and um, I was starting to feel uncomfortable. I was starting to think this this is he's not hearing me, you know, or he's not accepting what I'm saying. So he proceeded a little bit more forcefully. You know, you kind of go into this um state of fear where it's you want to protect yourself in any way possible and so in my mind I'm thinking I don't want to get pregnant I don't want to get an STD I knew he was going to do this anyway and I said if you're going to do this please put on protection he had something uh, close at hand and proceeded to you know prepare and I, I just kind of laid there in fear. I, I, I felt very paralyzed. Um, I, I, I guess I could have gotten up. I could have tried to leave. Um, I don't know if he would have gotten aggressive, 
you know, um, he, he seemed like he wouldn't have, uh, but again, you know, you're just kind of frozen. I remember just kind of laying there and um, in darkness, you know, I, I don't, I can't uh, picture it. I can't really remember. Um, I don't recall even feeling it, you know. Uh, I don't remember any sensations. I just remember this emptiness, um, just a, a void and a darkness and um, fear. And, you know, so he finishes, and um, I said, uh, I need to go outside. And, you know, I smoked at the time, so I, I got my clothes on. I went outside. I sat down and lit up a cigarette, and he just came and sat by me, and I didn't say a word, you know. And I couldn't go home. I couldn't ask him to take me back to the dorms. Um, there was no out for me. And so I just had to be there with him, you know, for the rest of the night. And we just um, stayed up for a while. And, you know, he tried to just talk like nothing had happened. And and then we went back to the room and just climbed in bed and went to sleep, you know. And the next morning we get up and I said, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home now. And so he dropped me off at the dorm, and I just went back and cried and cried and cried, you know. And, and I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should tell someone. I didn't know if they would even listen, you know. Um, oddly enough, uh, about three years earlier, my sister had gone to the same school, and someone didn't, you know, uh, rape her, but they they tried to get her to do some things, and she did go forward and tell you know the dean there, and she said, "Oh, you were asking for it. What were you wearing? What? So I'm sure you were flirting with him," and she just made my sister feel like it was all her, you know. And and I remember being so shocked hearing that later, and so I was. I was feeling that. I was feeling, I can't go tell anybody. They're going to tell me it's my fault. They're going to tell me I asked for it. They're going to tell me, oh, I was dressed provocatively, and which I wasn't. You know, I'm pretty sure I was t-shirt and jeans kind of girl then. And uh, and so I, I didn't feel like there was anywhere for me to go. That was our friend Crystal telling us her story. I want to applaud her. Right, Leslie, for yeah. joining the chorus of women who are now opening up and not hiding from a dark episode in mm -hmm. their lives. It takes guts to it talk does. about something that triggers, you know, really painful memories, reliving this experience or experiences that are charged with intense and complex emotions. Right. And what what's most sad to me is that, you know, this is so common Right? I mean, oh, yeah. Crystal's not alone in this at all. Um, I feel like maybe it seems more prevalent now just because women are finding their voice and are becoming brave and are speaking out. Um, but this is an old, old problem in the world. Wouldn't you agree? 
it's been going on forever. Yes. It is thousands of years old. From it's the been dawn around of humanity. From the dawn of humanity. Yes. The difference is that it is being talked about openly. Right. It, the difference this time is the number of women who are coming out and talking about it. You know what I find interesting too is the pushback from a lot of men, even some women who I think push back for political reasons. They want to. You're talking about more? Yes, Roy uh, Moore. Yes. Um, and there is plenty to um, convict this guy if you start digging and, and looking around. Um, it seems as though some people are more likely to forgive if they have an R or a D after their name, if it's political, right? Depending yeah, I on can their... think of our president, right? actually, exactly. who is accused yeah. of sexual uh, assault. Well, and one excuse I hear a lot is that when you have a man in power, that there are women that will try to take advantage of that. And, you know, you don't know if they're telling the truth. But if if you just look at statistics about the number of women that are actually assaulted, statistically, highly possible they're telling the truth. The surveys show that one in three women globally right. are victims of physical assault or sexual assault. Um, in America, it's one in six women yeah. have experienced either attempted uh, a rape or a completion of rape um, right. in and their you know lifetime. What I want to bring up too, you know, it's... Um, you know, we talk about rape, these, you know, clear, obvious cases of sexual assault, right? I was talking with uh, my husband one day, and, and I said, do you realize that this is something that every woman experiences, not necessarily rape? Um, I have been groped in public places on multiple uh, occasions. The most recent one was in May at a concert. Uh, had my breast grabbed by a complete stranger. And this was just a few months ago. I'm 37 years old. I'm not a little girl anymore. So even though I and I feel very fortunate that I have not been raped, I have not been violently assaulted in that way. I do know what it feels like to walk out in the parking lot as every woman does and what are you thinking in your mind as you're walking out alone in a parking lot, going to your car, you're on alert, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. You're yeah. on alert because you have to be. Right. And um, that's something that, that that's an experience I think men just don't understand, even good men. And I think that they're starting to get a hint of it now. I hope so. I feel like there are men out there who are saying, uh, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know mm -hmm. to the extent of how women felt. Yeah. I didn't know how much they felt like a victim, even, you know, when, you know, nothing has happened to them. Right. Even in, like you know, I when, said, mild cases. But right. when I share my story about how I've been, you know, I've had my ass grabbed, <laughs> I've mm -hmm. had my breasts grabbed, the reaction a lot of times I get is, well, you know, it's kind of be, to be expected in public places. See, that is the problem. Yes. That is a problem. Yeah. Because most of us have been taught um, by our mothers, by our friends, uh, other people in our lives when, let's say, we're being harassed by mm -hmm. a man in our life, whether it's at work right. uh, with a friend, is, hey, you know, work it out. Do the best you can to deal with it because you don't want to lose your job. Yeah. You don't want to lose uh, the position that you have. Yes. You don't. And, you know, you may not be believed. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's going to look bad for you. So we have been told to 
deal with it. We have been told also that eventually it'll happen. And you don't even have to be told because you get it from the media, right? You see these storylines play out. You understand the power dynamics. You understand that. Yeah. So once you see that, and and some are just obvious because if it's your boss, there's an obvious power dynamic differential. So just deal with it. And that's why I think a lot of women didn't say anything until Anita Hill in 1991 um, testified uh, during the nomination uh, of Clarence Thomas for the Supreme Court. So when she, a professor uh, yeah. of law, you know, went up and testified, someone who is well-educated, highly educated, well-spoken, uh, said that this man asked her out multiple times, even though she said no, this man who then proceeded to make excuses to take her to lunch mm-hmm. for work, um, said things, uh, told her, talked to her about pornography, talked to her about, you know, specifically, you know, uh, um, group sex and right. talked about his sexual prowess. How is that appropriate? And, and Not this man, at all. So what people saw with her testimony was, oh, it's possible to speak out that even beyond that, oh, wait, I don't have to take this. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't right. Exactly. This doesn't have to be business as usual. Yeah. So they saw that. But what didn't happen was, you know, you didn't have a tidal wave of women coming out then and identifying their perpetrators. The reason was, look what happened even though she had testified. Hmm. Right. I mean, he still was approved. And he's on, he's, you know, he's on the Supreme Court. So what's different this time is that um, these men are being punished. These powerful men. (laughs) And they don't like it. Are losing their jobs. They're Mm -hmm. losing lucrative deals. They're losing their reputations. They're losing their power. They're being punished. And so now what's different is women see that they can get a reward. They can get justice yes. for coming out. Right. Whereas the cost of coming out before was high. It was too great. Yes. That's why this feels like a real shift. It feels good. Absolutely right. And what's great for, you know, for all men out there is that they're seeing that it's not business as usual. Yeah. They're seeing that they need to... oh. They need to check themselves. There's consequences. You know, they, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, when they join in in a cat call, if they join, if they don't say anything when a friend makes a derogatory sexual statement about yeah. a woman and, you know, reduces her to a sexual object, um, it will make him pause, that mm-hmm. good man pause and say, dude, like, <laughs> get with the times. All right. Haven't you heard of the Me Too movement? The Me Too movement. <laughs> they're not saying that, Christina. I know they're not. <laughs> but, you know, they're going to say, they're going to say, man, okay, come on. You know, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that shit. I, right? I, I just want to videotape a, a few dudes at a table having a beer and do a voiceover. One of the guys saying exactly what you said. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> get what you the heard. Times. Hashtag. Okay, so 
We have someone with us. We have Ali Jacobs, Manager of Counseling and Advocacy at Houston Area Women's Center, a shelter for women with a mission to end sexual and domestic violence. Hi, Ali. Really great to have you join our gritty conversation. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad to to speak about the agency and give you guys some information about sexual violence and some of the things that are taking place kind of in, in current media. I agree. Allie, you know, I realized um, upon researching for this episode that I don't understand the terms. Um, for example, you know, what is assault versus battery? What is sexual assault right. versus rape versus harassment? And yet I feel like these terms are important for people to know so that they know their rights. Right. So um, they all kind of fall along a spectrum. So battery is going to be an intentional um, physical act where it can be either harmful or offensive contact. So it is the mm-hmm. actual like follow through in the act where assault um, it's assault is also commonly defined as attempted battery. So it could be either the threat or the physical act of doing it. Battery tends to have um, a more severe physical harm caused to either the victim or survivor. So okay. is sexual? Um, so then is sexual assault an umbrella term or is it just a threat of versus rape? Right. So sexual assault, um, it, it depends on, on who's defining it. Um, at the agency at, at Hawk, we, we kind of use a spectrum of sexual violence. Legally, it is going to be rape. So legally, the definition of sexual assault is the coercion or um, physical being physically forced to have non-consensual sexual acts. But so often sexual assault in the term that society frequently, you know, refers to is the spectrum of sexual violence of including things such as harassment and sexual harassment, um, as well as sexual aggression. So sexual assault, when you say that, then you would need a further clarification of what it is that happened. Yes. So if you come into the Houston Area Women's Center, we define sexual harassment, um, sexual aggression or rape all under sexual assault. Gotcha. Right. I I think that's helpful. I was going to add one thing. So that's important for women to know because, for example, in the case of Louis C.K., Louis C.K., you know, he Mm -hmm. whipped out his penis, right? And some people would want to explain away and say, well, he didn't touch anybody. You know, I've heard he asked is is the excuse I've heard that he did ask permission. So in that case, is it sexual harassment? Is it sexual assault? Sexual assault obviously so, covers all of but does it fall under sexual assault? We at the agency, yes, everything that we have is going to fall under sexual assault. That to me would, would define probably more technically under sexual aggression. Um, right. And just because someone asks, because someone doesn't say no, doesn't mean that they've said yes. And I think that's something that's really important that the only consent that can be gotten is going to be a verbal yes but then also a nonverbal yes. So you have to check in your partner or or someone who you're engaging in consensual sex with is going to one say, yes, I want to do this, but their body language is going to say, yes, I want to engage in this versus someone who's saying, yeah, uh, okay, but then kind of, you know, shies away or, or their body structure kind of, like in order to have consensual sexual activity, it both needs to be verbal and nonverbal wanting um, these behaviors. And just because someone says, hey, can I whip out my penis? 
if someone doesn't have the opportunities to say no or or doesn't even say yes, maybe doesn't say anything, that doesn't mean it's consensual. And, you know, what's tricky is that depending on which state you're in, that can vary because state law yep. is going to be more specific about, you know, what is legal, what isn't. Right. So, you know, it, so it I think it can be really tricky. Right. Uh, so, no Ali, the women that you work with have all experienced some type of violence or sexual violence. How do these yeah. women define what happened to them? Or, in other words, what's the story that they tell themselves? I think it depends on on where the survivor is in their healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, so to, statistically, 90% of individuals who have experienced sexual violence know the individual. It's an acquaintance. So although there are um, plenty of instances in which uh, too many instances where it is um, a stranger assault or a stranger rape, um, what statistically is more common is actually where they know the individual. So maybe it's a friend, uh, you know, family member or family friend or an acquaintance, a coworker. So a lot of survivors have a hard time kind of justifying like, did this really happen? Mm. Did I send the wrong message? And because of having that that relationship of sorts established, there's oftentimes a lot of manipulation and blame. Um, So, so a lot of survivors who initially come in is very much like, did I do something? Did I not send a clear picture? So there is a lot of self blame that our, our survivors experience. Plus then couple that with society's reaction. So, so often in society, um, we still have the like, well, why didn't you say no? Or what were you wearing? Or why were you out late at that night? Um, so there's so much victim blaming that takes place that it creates a really, really difficult position for a survivor to kind of in their mind wrap their head around what what has actually taken place. Um, through some of our services, we we explain empowering control. We explain, you know, that this was not your fault and, and, and take away some of that victim blaming that, that happens in, in the world and in society and, and hopefully shift the blame to understanding that this was an individual's decision to, to be abusive. This was their decision. This is, this is not the survivor's fault. So I think that story kind of for a survivor kind of shifts and changes through their healing process. Which kind of leads me to another question. Um, Through talking with um, some of the men I know in my life, good men, men who, you know, fully support women would not engage in these kinds of acts. The question I hear most often from them, and it's an honest question, they don't mean it to sound like they're blaming the victim. But like, Mm -hmm. for example, in the case of Louis C.K., the comment I got was, well, why didn't they just leave? Right. Well, I mean, geez, there's, I could think of a million reasons why they don't leave. They have that relationship. Maybe, um, you know, Louis C.K. had, he's got power. Like, he's a well-known, you know, kind of famous person. There's shame in, in being like, I got to get out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> what if other people were standing outside the door? Other people were in the room, and, and then they looked down upon the survivor or something along that line. Maybe they were in the same, um, you know, field of work, kind of aspiring comedian, and you're going to tarnish, you know, tarnish, I put that in quotes, tarnish, you know, this um, person's image 
by saying this happened and right. and what is that going to do for that person's career like there's so many so many reasons because of that power differential that takes place um it really that person may not always be able to just walk out of the room right. it, acting in the experience of trauma so the neurobiological effects of trauma like this is brain stuff and science you have to fight flight or freeze sexual assault is there's so many survivors who experience that freeze. What is safest mm -hmm. for them in that moment is just to kind of freeze. So they're not always thinking with their logical uh, prefrontal cortex of their brain. So oftentimes we ask these why, why, why questions to survivors. But anytime you put why in front of a question, it, it immediately stirs up for a survivor that kind of shame and, and guilt and, and needing to explain versus what, you know, the question being asked, maybe like, was there something that kept you in the room hmm. versus why did you stay in the room? Like just, just changing those simple words, what that impact can make for a survivor. And they may be able to have a, a you know, a wonderful explanation for why they chose to stay in the, stay in the room. It really is a good way of explaining it because I think so often we feel like we know what we would do in a similar situation, but until you've <laughs> lived it, you don't know. Yes. Right? Right. I mean, you never really know how you'd react until you're in that experience of, of, of trauma, of absolute fear. That's so true. Uh, those are, and I think that, you know, one of the things I was going to mention really quickly is that also I think the, there's, there's one reason that women probably don't feel comfortable talking about, which is that there's this mixed message that we get growing up that, you know, we seek self-worth through validation of, you know, by men. And when you're given attention this way, that seems, you know, secretive and exclusive, you, you feel really confused because a part of you is feeling like this should not be happening, but another part of you feels like you're part of something special or different. And... Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can create a lot of shame in in women Absolutely. who have that experience and aren't comfortable. That's something I don't hear talked about very much. Right. Well, and there's such a high degree of shame. I mean, the sexual assault is not something we talk about openly. Um, I think one of the things that is really, really hard for a lot of survivors, especially even more currently with a lot of um, the court cases and, and things like that kind of being televised and a lot of publication is finding justice. Hmm. Um, the, the number of individuals who experience, uh, a rape and then their perpetrators being either incarcerated and a court case and serving time is so very few that I think it is very challenging for survivors to kind of wrap their head around that justice may not be obtained legally for them, which can, can be a really tricky, um, shift in their needs like how how do we allow them to define justice for them can be really challenging for survivors um i think one of the things that is most common for survivors and very challenging for survivors to kind of overcome are anything that reminds you of the person who assaulted you or smells is typically the five senses um if you experience them in the present moment can stir up all of the same overwhelming traumatic emotions, reactions, experiences at the time that the assault took place. And those are something that you can become more aware of and you can be better at coping with through the healing process, but you can never erase 
those triggers. You can never erase that individual's experience. So I think it can be really challenging for survivors to kind of have the, the this is a, this happened to me and I'm going to deal with it for the rest of my life. And here my perpetrator is, didn't get jail time and is out living life freely, not experiencing this on a daily basis. Um, and that can be really hard for survivors to go through. That's why uh, continued therapy is so important. So, um, Right. Yeah. And, and it's just a safe place to process their emotions and their feelings on a regular basis and to have some of that normalized. Like, you, you, this is actually really normal and common. And when you see in a group of 15 women in, in our supportive counseling groups, they're also experiencing similar feelings. It can feel very validating and, and let you know that you're not alone, which is an incredibly powerful experience for our survivors. Right. It's like a, it's a safe place place for you. So um, lastly, Ellie, can you speak to women who may be in an abusive relationship right now or have been a victim of sexual assault? What should they do? Right. I can't speak about what they should do. Um, They know what is best for them and and have the power and the ability to, to choose what path they want to follow. What I would love to say to them is that they don't have to go through this alone. If they're ready to access support, Hawk is available for them, that they are not to blame and that we can provide services to help them in their healing process, however that may be, and look for them. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Allie Jacobs, for making time to be on our show and for helping us to all understand Uh, this issue that concerns all of us, really. Absolutely. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak out about it and to let survivors know um, that, that they're not alone in this. Um, So kind of the fallout that happened after that incident was um, I got very depressed. You know, I had a, a feeling of, defeat. I had a a feeling of um, just complete disappointment in myself. And um, I had made, you know, this promise to myself, to to God, to my family, uh, that 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 was going to be something that I held close for someone special. And it had been just ripped away from me. I mean, and being a virgin too, it's like, you know, that being your very first experience, what for me was very damaging. Um, I, I remember feeling very alone, you know, cause I didn't tell anyone. Of course I didn't speak to that person again, you know, and, and he, he didn't care either way. I just kind of went into this self-destruction mode. You know, I would be out and, you know, a guy would flirt with me and one thing would lead to another. A lot of times it it led all the way, you know, into the bedroom. And that moment was just almost repeated in my mind where I just kind of left myself and would be just vulnerable to whatever was happening. It was like a way to punish myself, you know. Um, I, I didn't realize that that's what was happening it was just kind of like, oh, well, it's gone anyway. What does it matter? I was self-destructing. I was beating myself up about it. I was feeling like, well, you're dirty anyway, so it doesn't matter anymore. But it it was just this time in my life that seemed so 
lonely and so dark and completely, um, I guess, kind of stripped of myself. And so later in life, you know, um, looking back, I remember finding all of these reasons and, and, and excuses in my mind that made me think, this is my fault, you know. And although I said no, eventually I think I said yes, you know, thinking that I had given him an okay. Much later, um, I would say fast forward maybe five or six years, I decided, you know, I need to deal with this. I need to go to counseling. I need to talk through this. I need to know if, you know, this was really my fault, if I brought this on myself. And, um, you know, talked with a um, counselor, and she said, now, how many times did you say no? You know, did he not hear you? Is that what you think? He didn't hear you say no three times. And I said, no, I, I, know, he, I know he acknowledged it. You know, because he asked me, why not? And um, she said that that was very much a true response for me to feel like, okay, how do I protect myself? You know, and, and we do that with, with other things in life. You know, okay, th- this is happening. My husband's fighting cancer. How do I protect myself? You know, oh, here comes the wreck. I'm about to crash. What do you do? You throw your hands up. You know, there there are these things that we do kind of automatically to preserve whatever we can. And she said, that's what you were doing. You were afraid, you were fearful, and all you could think was, I need to preserve some part of this as best as I can. That was really, really, really reassuring for me to hear that it was not me saying, go ahead. Again, that's Crystal, a good friend of mine and Leslie's who was raped as a student in college. It's hard to hear, right, Leslie, about what women have gone through, but even harder when it's a friend. Yes. It's hard. Um, You know, I feel my heart, you know, just kind of breaks a little bit, you know, for her and for the other women I know when they've told me about things that have happened to them. Um, But what's great this time, what's really powerful about the ability to share is that it takes the shame away. By virtue of keeping silent implies that there's something shameful here, that they have to hide it, that they are wrong, that they had a hand in what happened. Right. I will bring this counterpoint up, though, that was brought up by a friend of mine who you know, whenever the the Me Too movement was kind of going viral on Facebook, she commented that she did not want to to um, join in that because she didn't feel like she owed the world her story. Um, and I, I think it was, you know, I think it dredged up some painful memories for her. And she also didn't want to, um, I guess, glorify what happened to her in any way. Um, and she didn't want to be identified with what happened to her. So, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I want 
I want everyone to know that, that we're sensitive to what they're going through and that not everyone is ready to share, right? You're right. Crystal it- shared because she was ready. She may not have been ready had we had this conversation with her five years ago, right? I mean, I don't know. But, um, you know, so if, if you're not ready to share, that's okay. You're in your process, in your place of healing, right? What's great with this is that you have a choice. Yes. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher where you find our show and subscribe because you'll be entered to win a Gritty Girls t-shirt during the first two months of our launch. Because we are a new show, we need your help, so subscribe. Grab your iDevice, go to the iTunes store, and search for Gritty Girls Podcast. This will help you to download Apple's free podcast app if you don't already have it. Then, once you're on our podcast, hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are automatically downloaded onto your device. And for Android listeners, download the free Stitcher radio app and search Gritty Girls Podcast. For all others, you can find us on our website at grittygirlspodcast.com. And please join our gritty conversations by heading to our website where our next show topics are listed. Pick one that resonates with you. Call our chat line and record your thoughts. Quick one or two lines will do, and then you'll have a good chance of being on our show's WDYT segment for What Do You Think? We only have one rule. Enter the conversation with an open mind. Our music today includes Days Past by In Closing. Thank you for listening. Until next time, listen to understand, seek out growth, and keep the heart and mind open. That was our friend telling us her story. I want to applaud her for joining the, the circus. I was going to say the circus. We are kind of a circus. The circus. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Crystal, for joining the circus of women. She is a hippie. She wouldn't mind. She doesn't mind. She doesn't mind. Yeah. (laughs) Oh.